Matthew chapter 7, it's from verses uh, 1 to 12. And if you have one of the, the blue Bibles from Grove here, you can find that on page 971. From Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, And turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Thanks, Jack. Great to be with you again today. And we're going to be looking at that passage together. Uh, Before we do that, let me uh, start off by asking you a question. Uh, When you think about the Bible and you think about it as literature, Okay, just forgetting it's God's word and that sort of thing for the moment. Uh, but just thinking about it as a, a book or a composition of different parts of a book, how do you think of it? What sort of categories do you place it in? Uh, let me give you some examples. Do you think of it more like a, uh, a dictionary or an encyclopedia? You know, this is a, a reference book on key topics to do with, you know, God and what he wants for us as people. Uh, do you think of it more, more like, a, you know, an historical novel? Yeah, that traces the pattern of the history of things. Or maybe you think of it as some combination of those two together. If, for example, we, you know, I pulled out the Koran and we were looking at that together and reading it through, what you discover is that is more of a, uh, a dictionary of one man's thoughts on spiritual things. You know, it's, uh, so you read it through and it, it doesn't sort of feel coherent. It feels a bit sporadic. Uh, a collection of different ideas sort of thrown together in different spots. I'm not trying to demean it at this point. I Obviously, I'm not a, a reader of the Quran or anything like that. But what I'm saying is it's a different sort of literature in the way in which it's framed. When I come to the Bible and I'm looking at sections of the Bible, I expect there to be a coherence about them, uh, where the section will hold together within the, the big plan of God and within the context of what uh, God is teaching us in a particular area. And I take it that's why week by week we meet together and we're reading through books of the Bible. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6 and 7, because we think they hang together. Jesus has got a big thesis that he's driving towards. And that section of Matthew's gospel fits into the overall message of Matthew. Jesus came to save sinners, Matthew 1.21. You get to the end of uh, the gospel and he dies on the cross for sin and rise from the dead to show he's defeated it. The whole thing hangs together as a coherent whole. Now, you may be thinking at this point, why are you rabbiting on about this, Paul? Okay. Uh, the reason I am is because we come to a section of the Bible today, Matthew 7 verses 1 to 12, 
And while it's got some great things in it, it doesn't feel particularly coherent when you first read it. So let me come to it with you and show you what I mean. We come back to, have your Bibles open. Really useful at this section of the Bible. Chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge or you will be judged. I mean, that is so 21st century Australia, isn't it? Tolerance. Yes, you know, beat the drum. This is terrific. But then you get to chapter 7, verse 6. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. I don't know about you. This is sounding a bit judgmental to me. You know, <laughs> we're, we're calling people, you know, pigs and dogs. We're, and we're being asked to make a judgment about that. Verse 1, do not judge. Verse 6, judge. Go for your life. Okay. Now, and then you come to verse 7. And we seem to have this absolute ironclad guarantee about God answering every prayer. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Want to be rich? Pray, buy a cross lotto ticket, you will win. Okay? If this is an absolute promise that God will give you whatever you want. You want to be 10 centimetres tall, taller than you are now, feeling a bit short? Pray, you will grow. Right? Name it and claim it. Now, you'll probably gather from my tone, I'm not suggesting this is true, but you understand the thing I'm raising? Judge, don't judge. Pray for anything you want, you'll get it. How does this all hang together? And I want to suggest to you that it does. All right? I want to jump in it together and see how we see these, these seemingly disparate ideas follow on from one another so we can understand it. Now, the outline of what I'm going to talk about is not in the leaflet. This is because I didn't provide one today. Uh, I'll try and give you some clear horns as we go along so you know where we're going. Right? But let me pray that I, I don't want this just to be a Bible reading exercise uh, because Jesus speaks to us about profound things this morning. Uh, but I do want us to see how these profound things he says, how they form a, a whole, a, a, a big idea about, who we're to be and how we're to live and we need God to work in our hearts for that to happen so let me pray Heavenly Father we do thank you for your word we do pray uh, that you will help us to uh, understand it uh, to see how it holds together and then to work out what it means for us as a community and as individuals Father we pray this in Jesus name Amen Right, first section, if you're a point taker, note writer, don't judge, verses 1 to 5. So you read verses 1 and 2. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you'll be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what sort of judgment are we talking about at this point? Is it like a judge in a court who passes sentence on a criminal and then the sentence is carried out? Now, when you go through Matthew 7, there's a number of aspects of that that become very clear. Verse 13, just beyond what we read, wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. You get to verse 19, every tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Uh, Verse 23 Uh, talking about those who claim to be followers and even do miracles in Jesus' name, this is what will be said to them. Uh, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, the the strong judgment 
of God is on view here. Uh, It's not a popular idea that God judges and condemns, but it is real. No question about that. So we talk about that judgment in that final sense of past sentence, or are we talking more about an idea of discernment, you know, an assessment sort of question? Um, more like the judge of the best sheep at the royal show, you know, that sort of idea. Or um, the Archibald Portrait Prize, who has done the best portrait here in Australia? Or an umpire deciding whether someone got pushed in the back in the Crows Port you know, match last night and that's why Port lost, you know. And, you know that sort of assessment sort of question that comes up. What we're being told is we're not to stand in the place of God, that is, it's not our place uh, to determine someone's eternal future, and yet we do seem to be being told that we're to exercise godly discernment. Uh, chapter 7, verse 15, we're told, watch out for false prophets. By your, their fruit, you'll recognise them. That's a discernment question. We're meant to be able to find those false prophets and see that they are that. Don't judge, do judge. Don't judge, do judge. Jesus is saying, exercise godly judgments, but as you do it, be careful not to be judgmental. Right? Clear? <laughs> huh? Go and do likewise, right? That, that, that is how... What, Godly judgments, but be careful not to be judgmental. Fortunately, we get an illustration of what he's talking about, and uh, you would have heard it. It's, a, it's quite a funny illustration, really, in verses 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Now, it, it's, an, it's meant to be an amusing picture. You all know what it's like, you know, when you get an eyelash in your eye, you know, and you just sort of blink, 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 and you can't get it, or some, just a microscopic speck of dirt that is just so irritating. And even with the help of a really good friend who has good eyesight, it's difficult to remove. We all know that sort of, that sort of feeling. So that's the sort of picture here. So imagine you're someone who has this microscopic speck right, of dust or something in their eye and a friend comes along who has a gum tree growing out of their eyeball, you know, like this, and says, it's okay, I can help you with your speck, you know, like as they clunk through the door, you know, and always knock you over. Yeah, That's the picture that's being presented. It's a ludicrous sort of picture, you know, let me help you with the speck, woof, you know. It's just crazy to think that way, but that is the illustration that we have here. The person being oblivious to the fact they've got a gum tree sticking out of their head, right? How could this possibly be? And thinking they can help you with your relatively minor problem. You understand what Jesus is doing, he's been doing it all the way through this Sermon on the Mount, is attacking hypocritical judgmentalism. That's what's on view. That is, looking down on others with a critical spirit, with a sense of moral superiority, with a harsh sort of attitude, a self-righteousness that overlooks our own sin while picking up the faults in others. 
That's the issue that he's driving home to. I remember when Sue and I, when we were at Bible College, we were student ministers at a church, so we we sort of part-time helping out being trained. And I remember one of the first weeks we were there, there was an older couple, they would have been in their 70s, and they came up to us after the service. We, We hadn't met them at this point, and so they introduce themselves, you know, I'm Duncan and Elsie, I can't quite remember their names now, to be quite honest. Uh, and they'd been around the church for a long time. They said, we're Duncan and Elsie, and we have the gift of rebuking, right? That's how they introduce it. We have the gift of rebuking, right? And I immediately thought, why are you telling me, you know? <laughs> and then I thought, is that, is that really a gift? You know, it seems more like a curse as far as I can tell. Uh, but you know, even as I tell you about Duncan and Elsie, uh, can you sense the way in which I'm looking down on them? So even in talking about them like that, there's a sense of my own, oh, I, you know, I'm much more discerning than to think I do that sort of thing. Isn't that the trap? Have you never felt yourself feeling just a little bit you know, spiritually further up the, the tree than somebody else and look down on them? Yeah, I think most of us know that sort of feeling. And we know it common to life as well. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying abandon your discernment. Um, do not uh, sort of you know, give up assessing what is godly and what's not. But what we are being asked to do is to think deeply about our relationship with God and the implications that has for our attitude and relationships with one another. And to be careful not to separate the two. Keep remembering your roots as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because friends, we will, we will all come before the throne of the living God and we will all face judgment at the end of the age. He will summons us to appear before his throne. How would you like him to assess judgment on you at that point? Just do a straight mark sheet on your performance? Well, if you want to be separated from him for all eternity. If you don't understand the mercy and the grace of God... If you don't allow that to fuel your thinking about your relationships with other people constantly and for that to actually drive the way in which you live, then you haven't understood what it means to be in relationship with God. You haven't understood how to relate to others the way Jesus is calling us to. Remember back in the beginning of... Matthew chapter 5, the start of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. Those who are disciples of the Lord Jesus, they keep remembering their spiritual poverty before God. They keep remembering and mourning, just like we've done this morning in that Puritan prayer, so helpful. Mourning their sin, remembering the reality of how they sit. 
We're told, blessed are the merciful. That is, we know the mercy of God. And therefore, we're merciful people. You see, if you remember those things, then you will not fall into self-righteous arrogance. It's actually an impossibility. But if you lose touch with the God of the Bible, then there are all sorts of consequences. We saw it last week. You know, we're talking about anxiety. Lose touch with the God of the Bible and his authority in this world and his rule. Of course you'll be anxious. You've got a lot to be anxious about if you haven't got a God who rules the world. And it's over to you. And you're not going to do a very good job of it. You know? like, you know? Be anxious if you don't follow Jesus. Makes sense, doesn't it? Or just before that, materialism. Uh, Jesus speaks about not sort of investing in this world. But if you're not, a, not in touch with the God of the Bible who rules it from eternity to eternity, what else are you going to do except invest in this world and be a materialist? Lose touch with the God of the Bible. You just slip into those things. And lose touch with the God of the Bible. Of course you'll be judgmental because you have no reference point. You see, if, if you're, you stand before the holy God, then you can only think of yourself as a sinner. Get rid of the God of the Bible, and I'm just standing in your presence, okay? And as I look around, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm actually probably much better than most of you guys, you know? So, you know, I'm, I can fall into that moral superiority, and you can think the same way. <laughs> you're not, you know, and, and think about things I've done to you, or whatever it is. You know, there are all those sort of possibilities if you lose touch with the God of the Bible. Now, as you think about it for a Christian community like ours, where's it likely to show itself? I reckon there's all sorts of ways, I think I've observed over the years, all sorts of traps we can fall into. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, parenting styles. You know, when it comes down to observing each other's approach to discipline or education or even the number of kids you should have. You know, we can have opinions on that. Or how much screen time children should have. Or should we have controlled crying or not? You know, I've got a, uh, a couple of grandkids now right in the thick of those sort of debates. You know, uh, should we raise kids Jesus' way? You know, imagine even calling a book that, by that title, you know. Easy to judge and assess based, you know, godliness being put into practice. We can do it when it comes to money. You know, we can observe each other the way we, we spend money, the way we live our lifestyle, what we wear. So easy to pass judgment. We're normally polite. We just do it in our heads, you know. Uh, but so easy to do that, I think, in practice. Or just lifestyle questions. What you drink, what you drive, uh, where you live. Easy to slip, in, slip into those sort of comparisons. Now, I'm not saying do not discern sin. Don't hear me saying that. But I am saying do remember you are a recipient of grace. Do reflect on your own sinfulness and the mercy of God. Do think and act with one another on the basis of that. That's why uh, this banner's at the front. Some great banners here. But understand, this is at the front to remind us that we do exist for God's glory, but we do it based on God's grace. You know, we, never, we never go past grace, mercy, God's initiative to us in his son. The same way you judge, 
you'll be judged. The measure you give will be measured to you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Do not judge, okay? And then we come to the second point, verse 6, do judge, right? Do not judge, now do judge. (laughs) Verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs, and if you do, they may trample them under their feet and tear you to pieces. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, In our sort of culture, you know, calling someone a a dog can almost be a term of endearment. You know, if I say to Jack Page, whom I've known for years and years, you dog, you know, like he, he's not likely to be offended by that, all right? I'm not saying try it on your wife, right? <laughs> But do you understand it can be like that? Or you, know, you think of pigs, you know, you think of those little piglets at the Royal Show, the flying pigs who swim across, you know, they're cute and lovely little cuddly creatures. You want to take one home, you know? Like we can have those sort of images. When we're talking in this first century Jewish context in particular, the dogs were wild and dangerous scavengers. <laughs> they were animals in the animalistic sense, right? Not, not things that you had at home that you patted on the head unless you wanted to lose your arm. Uh, pigs were dirty, wild, sort of boar-like creatures, unclean from a Jewish perspective, right? So to call someone a dog or a pig in this sort of context, is to say you're a child molester or prostitute, right? If you're looking for an equivalent. Uh, There's no question it was a judgment uh, about where someone stood in relation to God. Don't judge, you know, but I'm feeling like this is a bit judgmental. So what is going on here? Let me say the point's clear. Do not give what is valuable, that is the gospel, the news of God's grace and mercy, to those who have no appreciation of it or will treat it like rubbish. That is the essential point that I think is being made here. Uh, I've got a granddaughter who's a little bit over two. When she comes to our place and I sit her in our high chair to give her some food, I generally don't give her dinner on our finest bone china and get her to drink out of crystal goblets. (laughs) She doesn't have much appreciation for those things at this point Uh, and she's just as likely to throw them on the ground and smash them and think it was fun. Uh That's the sort of situation. So I I don't do that uh, with Lily at this point of her life. Same when it comes to the gospel. But you might say to me, Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought that was the point of the gospel. Aren't we meant to try and share it with people who don't appreciate it? Like, isn't that, that's the reason why we do it, right? <laughs> we, we want people to hear it and respond to it. Uh, so, how does this work? I mean, I think about myself. Mike asked me the question about how good it was to follow Jesus. But for, the reality was, for a number of years, I was a dog and a pig, right? No question about it. I really was very dismissive of the gospel and scathing on those who were Christians. Oh, I used to tear them to pieces. It was great fun, you know. Now, I, you know, it, so what are we talking about here? I'm so thankful that people persisted in sharing the gospel and that I heard it and was able to become a believer. What we're talking about at this point is not, not harsh judgmentalism, Uh, we're not being told to look down on people who aren't believers. 
um, to be harsh in our assessment of them, we're always to have compassion and mercy before unbelievers. Because after all, that's who we were. Except for the grace of God, that's exactly where I stand. No arrogance when it comes to that sort of thinking. But there are times when it's wiser to move on. So when I became a believer, I had a whole group of mates who were big drinkers and the times I found myself getting into discussions with them about the gospel was normally after a significant amount of consumption. Now at the time, I think I thought, oh, this is a good opportunity, but of course on reflection it was a complete waste of time. Because once they'd drunk enough, they'd prepared to talk about anything. And afterwards, they wouldn't remember anything. But they were in it for a bit of fun. And, and then I thought, in lots of ways, what was happening was I was giving them the opportunity to mock God quite often. I thought, I don't, that, it wasn't doing them any good to be in that sort of situation. We are being told that there is a time where you hold your words where you perhaps even invest somewhere else when it comes to the gospel. Can I say you never abandon an unbeliever? You you never dismiss them. You always keep praying for them. You never look down on them. But in the economy of God, there may be times uh, for going the next step, for moving on. So... How do you avoid uh, judgmentalism? Uh, I want to move on to verses 7 and 11 in particular. But if you're going to exercise godly discernment, how do you do that while maintaining grace and mercy? I think it's hard to assess properly and have soft heart and to do that simultaneously and not slip into looking down on other people especially if you've been a Christian for a while, it's easy over time to be zealous for the name of God and for his honour and his sake and to become more and more oblivious to your own sense of sin and failure before God. You can slam immorality and still struggle with a lustful heart. You can look down on someone who just completely loses their temper on a regular sort of basis while you just seethe inside when people don't treat you the right sort of way. You can be dismissive of those who claim to be faithful followers of Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, Lord, you know, but seem to be caught up in materialism and invested in this world and careerism and then find in your heart that part of your reaction to them is that you're quite jealous of their success or the things that they own. I think that's where the praying in verses 7 to 11 fits in. Uh, on the face of it, it seems like such an open-ended teaching on prayer, doesn't it? You know, ask, you get, seek, it's yours, push, it'll be open, want to be wealthy, sure you'll be wealthy, God will make you rich, someone's sick, pray, they'll be healed, you want a promotion, pray, you'll get it. You know, like it almost seems to be that sort of... now. It isn't saying that, if I can just be absolutely clear about that. But I do for a moment 
want to reflect with you on what this is saying about the character of God, the character of the God we pray to, because that comes through really clearly in this section. Notice from verses 9 to 11, the way in which we're to think about God. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? I mean, if you know, you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, this is meant to be um, a shocking image. It's meant to be. So, I'll talk to you about my granddaughter, Lily, two and a quarter. Um, the other day, right, I, she loves cake, right? She shouldn't, but she does, you know. And uh, the other day, I decided I would bake her a cake. But just for a joke, just a joke, what I did was I got this glass jar and I crushed it up and I baked the crushed glass into the, into the cake and baked it with crushed glass and then gave her that cake, okay? Now, at this point, you know, of course, I didn't do that, I hope. <laughs> and at this point, you're almost feeling sick that I could even tell you that story, some of you. But you understand that's why I've told you that? Because that is exactly the image that Jesus is using here. Food? Give him a snake. Poisonous snake. What? <laughs> what? And that's his point. I am a sinful man. I would never treat my grandchild that way. And if anyone tried to teach him that way, I would take him out, you know, in a Christian manner, you understand. But uh, <laughs> you understand, like, even me as a sinful man, know how to treat my kids and my grandkids. Do you think think God's less than you are? think God doesn't match up to that standard? So what is our Heavenly Father like? Know that God is good. So why doesn't he answer all our prayers? So the Lockeries aren't here this morning. So I'll talk about the Lockery situation. Steph, sick and dying of cancer. Anyone that knows that family has prayed that God will heal Steph from her cancer. True? So then, why has that prayer not been answered at this stage? Why could she most likely die from that cancer even though we pray? I don't know the answer to that question. But let me tell you what I do know. It's not because God is not good. It is not because God is not good. He is. Do you think he's less? You're like you and your sinfulness pray for it to be healed. Do you think God doesn't want what is best for that household or for Steph? more than you do much much more so why in his providence doesn't he do it it's one of the questions in my book for when i get to heaven but i know he is both powerful and he is good and i know that because the heavenly father who sends his son to the cross to die for our sins in his mercy and grace for rat bags like you guys and me I know that he is good.
I don't have the answers, but I know that, and that is the point. So what is this section on prayer about? As you think about the context question. Can I say it's, it's hard to be discerning about godliness and righteousness without being hypocritical and judgmental and looking down on others? It's hard to aspire to righteousness where God is honoured and glorified by our behaviour without getting into sort of superiority games and looking down on those around us. I reckon that's a really difficult thing to do. So Jesus says, pray. Pray that, that God will help you be that sort of person. Pray in Sermon on the Mount terms for poverty of spirit, chapter 5, verse 3. Pray that you'll be merciful, chapter 5, verse 7. Pray that you'll be salt and light, chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Pray that God will help us to live both righteous lives and yet be self-aware enough to know that we are sinners who are being changed in the image of his son. Pray that God will help you be both discerning to live for his honour, but not to be self, self-satisfied and to look down on others. Pray. And let me say, if you, are, if you pray that prayer, do you think God will answer it? Well, the point of this passage is he will certainly answer that prayer. <laughs> That's what he is promising here in the context of what's being said. God will do it. And so we finish this section, we get to verse 12. In everything you do, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Makes sense, doesn't it? As we understand the mercy and grace of God, it gets worked out in our practice with other people. And one of the tests of whether we understand it is by the way we think and relate to other people. And to know that that expresses our understanding of whether we appreciate the grace and the mercy of God, which in the end will test whether God will treat us with grace and mercy, whether we've understood it. And it is true. This week I I caught up with a guy called Peter. Some of you actually will know Peter. Uh, He's someone who's been involved in our city church for some time. He's now at the Bible College. But Peter's history is very interesting. For a number of years he was on the street uh, he had problems with alcohol and drugs. And then uh, after a period of time in that sort of situation, got converted and became a Christian. And God has radically changed him around. But we, he did a subject just last year at the Bible College because he said, you know, Paul, I'm not sure if I've got a brain left and can study because I've really fried it with drugs and alcohol over a period of years. So we'll give it a shot and see, what, see how it goes, you know. And uh, I thought, yeah, fair sort of point. But Peter is someone who's come from a very, you know, sort of blue-collar, unemployed, hard knocks sort of background, dysfunctional family, you know, lost touch, uh, didn't even know if his father was alive, that sort of history and background, and then gets converted. Do you know what sometimes happens to people in that situation? They, they get converted and then they make good. You know, suddenly got a framework for their life and they make progress and improves their lives in a whole range of ways and 
move beyond almost what they've come from. The reason I caught up with Peter this week is because he wanted to know, did our Trinity network of churches have a passion to reach out to people like in his situation before he became a Christian? Because the thing on his heart is that he might be able to plant a church with people who are on the streets, who are struggling with drugs or alcohol, dysfunctional families who need the love of a saviour. And I thought, yeah, here's a guy who gets the grace and mercy of God, has not moved beyond it, and keeps on wanting to extend that to people just like himself. That's what we want as people of God, to be people like that who in our own situation are working out the implications of what we have received with open hands to one another as we stand alongside each other. When you see one we catch someone in sin in this community. What do we do? Well, the main thing is to yell at them in a loud voice, all right? No. You get your arm around them. You may rebuke them, but it's always with arm around because you want to encourage them as we move ahead together. And it's the same when we're sharing the gospel with people who don't believe it. We're so much better than they are because we're Christian and we've really put our lives together. No. Because they're but for the grace of God, am I? Mercy, grace, empathy, all because of the way we've been treated by God. That's what this section of God's word says to us today. So let me pray. Let me pray we'll do it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your wonderful mercy towards us in your Son. Uh, Father, we know that it is challenging to both appreciate your word and then put it into practice. Father, we pray that we'll be profoundly convicted by the the reality that we stand only because of your grace and mercy and that you will guard us from hypocritical judgmentalism uh, where we're, we're tempted to look down on others. Father, we know that actually we'll do that and therefore we pray you'll convict us of it, cause us to repent, and to ask you for your mercy and to keep putting ourselves in positions of humility as we seek to serve and to encourage and to build up others. Uh, Father, we, we know there are times for hard words, and yet, Father, we pray the hard words won't be because we're coming from a position of we've got it together and you don't, but rather that they'll be hard words because we have deep concern for people's eternal welfare and a heart full of overflowing compassion and mercy. Uh, Father, this is what we long to be, a community based on your grace, who experience grace, who share grace. Uh, Help us to keep growing in it, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.